Chapter Six of Roundabout a Great Estate by Richard Jeffries. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: A Farmer of the Olden Times. The winding paths traced by a hare in spring as he roams over an arable field show that he must cover a mile within a furlong. From a gateway one morning, I watched a hare busy in this way restlessly passing to and fro over the lands every motion was visible because although the green wheat was rising in an adjacent field no crop had yet appeared here now the hare came direct toward me running down a furrow then he turned short and followed a course like the letter v next he crossed the angle of the field and came back along the shore of the ditch under the hedge then away to the centre of the field, where he stayed some time, exploring up one furrow and down another, his ears and the hump of his back only seen above the clods. But suddenly he caught scent of something that alarmed him, and away he went at full speed. When on the open ground, the peculiar way in which the hind limbs are thrown forward right under the body, thus giving an immense stride, was clearly displayed. I had been so interested in the hare that I had not observed Hillary coming along the other side of the low fence, looking at his wheat. The hare, busy as he was, and seeming to see nothing, had crossed his wind. Hillary came to me, and we walked together along the wagon track, repassing the wheat. He was full about it. He was always grieving over the decadence of the wheat crop. There was nothing, he went on, so pleasant to watch as it came up, nothing that required so much care and skill nothing so thoroughly associated with the traditions of english farming as wheat and yet nothing so disappointing foreign importations had destroyed this very mainstay now that crop which he had just left had tillered out well but what profit should he get from the many stocks that had tillered or sprung from each single grain thus promising a fifty-fold return it had been well got in and as the old saw had it well sown half grown it had been in the ground the proper time, long in the bed, big in the head, but likely enough the price next autumn would not much more than pay the expense of preparation. The thunderstorm before Christmas was not perhaps a favorable omen, since winter's thunder and summer's flood bode old England no good. Last year showed that summer flood was as destructive as in the olden time, but then there would have been a rise of prices, according to the saying, When the vale shall feed the hill, every man shall eat his fill. But when the hill shall feed the vale, the penny loaf shall be but small. Now, last season, so far as our home harvests were concerned, the hill did feed the vale. But the penny loaves were as large and as plentiful as usual, owing to foreign grain. In those old days, seventy or eighty years since, the whole population of the kingdom watched the weather with anxiety, and it was then that the signs and tokens of birds and plants and the set of the wind at particular times were regarded as veritable oracles to be inquired into, not without fear and trembling. Hillary heard all about it when he was a lad from old Jonathan, who had a corn farm up in the hills, and where he used to go to plough. Hillary never stated the exact degree, but there was some relationship between them, two branches, I fancy, of the same family. He seemed to have a very bitter memory of the old man, now dead, 
who had been a hard master to him in his youth besides which some family jar had arisen over money matters still he was fond of quoting jonathan in reference to wheat and the heyday of corn farming jonathan remembered when a load of wheat fetched fifty-five pounds a load being five quarters or ten sacks or eleven pounds a quarter the present average of wheat was about two pounds six shillings per quarter at the same time bread was at three shillings a gallon it is now about one shilling sixpence the wages of an agricultural laborer were six shillings a week it was gambling positive gambling in the staff of life no farmer was held in any esteem if he did not keep his wheat ricks till harvest came again before threshing them out men grew rich suddenly and knew not what to do with their money farmers who had been brought up hard living like laborers working like laborers and with little more amusement than laborers all at once found their pockets full of coin the wheat they had been selling at five pounds a load ran up to fifty pounds with their purses thus crammed full what were they to do there was nothing but drink and they did drink in those days the farmer in his isolated homestead was more cut off from the world than the settler at the present time in the backwoods or on the prairies the telegraph wires span the continent of america and are carried across the dry deserts of australia wherever the settler may be he is never very far from the wires or the railway the railway meets the ocean steamer and we can form no conception of the utter lack of communication in the old world of our immediate forefathers the farmer being away from the main road and the track of the mail coaches knew no one but his neighbors saw no one and heard but little amusements there were none other than what could be had at the alehouse or by riding into the market town to the inn there so that when this great flush of prosperity came upon them old jonathan and his friends had nothing to do but drink up at the idivers as his place was called a lonely homestead on a plain between the downs they used to assemble and at once put up the shutters whether it was dark or not not wishing to know whether it was day or night sometimes the head carter would venture in for instructions and be gruffly told to take his team and do so and so yes sir he would reply us did that job yesterday his master had ordered him to do it the day before but was oblivious that twenty-four hours had passed the middle-aged men stood this continuous drinking without much harm their constitutions having become hardened and set but it killed off numbers of the younger men they drank ale principally strong ale for at that time in lonely farmhouses they were guiltless of wines and spirits but the enormous price of fifty pounds per load suggested luxuries and it was old jonathan at the idivers who introduced gin till then no gin even nothing but ale had been consumed in that faraway spot but jonathan brought in the gin which speedily became popular he called it spoon drink a spoon being used with the sugar as a distinguishing name and as spoon drink accordingly it was known when anyone desired to reduce the strength of his glass they did indeed pour him out some more water from the kettle but having previously filled the kettle with the spirit his last state became worse than the first while thus they reveled 
the laborers worked the flails in the barn threshing out the truly golden grain the farmers used to take pains to slip around upon them unexpectedly or meet them as they were going home from work in order to check the pilfering of the wheat the laborer was not paid wholly in cash he had a bushel of the tail or second flour from the mill in lieu of money settling once a month their life was hard indeed but the great prosperity which had come upon the farmers did them no good in too many cases it melted away in drink the habit of drinking became settled in a family bad habits endured after the prosperity had departed and in some cases those who had once owned their farms as well as occupied them had to quit the homes of their forefathers here and there one however laid the foundation of a fortune as fortunes are understood in the country and shrewd old jonathan was one of these even down to very recent days a spell of drinking simple drinking was the staple amusement of many an otherwise respectable farmer not many years since it was not unusual for some well-to-do farmer of the old school to ride off on his nag and not be heard of for a week till he was discovered at a distant roadside inn where he had spent the interval in straightforward drinking these habits are now happily extinct it was in those old times that wheat was bought and hoarded with the express object of raising the price to famine pitch a thing then sometimes practicable though not always successful thus in eighteen o one the price of wheat in march was fifty five pounds per load while in october it had fallen to fifteen pounds men forgot the misery of the poor in their eagerness for guineas hillary with all his old prejudices was not so foolish as to desire a return of times like that he had undergone privation himself in youth for farmer's sons were but little better off than plough lads even in his early days and he did not wish to make money by another man's suffering still he was always grieving about the wheat crop and how it had fallen in estimation it was a sight to see the gusto with which he would run his hand into a sack of wheat to sample it here feel this he would say to me you can slip your hand in up to your elbow and now hold up your palm see the grains are as plump as cherry stones after hearing hillary talk so much of old jonathan i thought i should like to see the place where he had lived and later in the season walked up on the hills for that purpose the stunted fir trees on the downs gave so little shadow that i was glad to find a hawthorn under whose branches i could rest on the sward the prevalent winds of winter sweeping without check along the open slope had bent the hawthorn before them and the heat of the sultry summer day appeared the greater on that exposed height on either hand hills succeeded to hills and behind i knew they extended farther than the eye could reach immediately beneath in front there was a plain at its extreme boundary a wood and beyond that the horizon was lost in the summer haze wheat barley and oats barley and wheat and beans completely occupied the plain it was one vast expanse of cereals without a sign of human life for the reaper had not yet commenced and the bailiff's cottages were hidden among the ricks there was an utter silence at noonday nothing but yellowing wheat beneath the ramparts of the hills around and the sun above but though out of sight 
there was a farmhouse behind a small copse and clump of elms full of rooks nests a short way from the foot of the down this was the idavers once the residence of old jonathan it was the last farm before reaching the hill district proper and from the slope here all the fields of which it consisted were visible the house was small for in those days farmers did not look to live in villas until within the last few years even the parlor floor was of stone flags rushes used to be strewn in the halls of palaces in ancient times and seventy years ago old jonathan grew his own carpets the softest and best of the bean straw grown on the farm was selected and scattered on the floor of the sitting rooms as warm and dry to the feet and that was all the carpet in the house just before sheep shearing time too jonathan used to have the nettles cut that flourished around the back of the sheds and strewn on the floor of the barn the nettles shriveled up dry and the wool did not stick to them but could be gathered easily with his own hands he would carry out a quart of beans to the pigs just a quart at a time and no more that they might eat every one and that none might be wasted so too he would carry them a few acorns in his coat pocket and watched the relish with which the swine devoured their favorite food. He saved every bit of crooked wood that was found about the place, for at that date iron was expensive, and wood that had grown crooked, and was therefore strong as well as curved, was useful for a hundred purposes. Fastened to a wall, for instance, it did for a hook upon which to hang things. If an apple tree died in the orchard, it was cut out to form part of a plough and saved till wanted. Jonathan's hard head withstood even the whirl of the days when corn was at famine prices. But these careful economies, this continual saving, put more money in his purse than all that sudden flesh of prosperity. Every groat thus saved was as a nail driven into an oak, fixed and stable, becoming firmer as time went on how strangely different the farmers of today with a score of machines and appliances with expensive feeding stuffs with well-furnished villas each one of jonathan's beans in his quart mug each one of his acorns in his pocket became a guinea jonathan's hat was made to measure on his own special block by the hatter in overborough town and it was so hard and stout that he could sit upon it without injury his top boots always hung near the fireplace, that they might not get moldy, and he rode into the market upon his short-tail horse, as he called his crop-tail nag. A farmer was nothing thought of unless he wore top boots, which seemed a distinguishing mark, as it were, of the equestrian order of agriculture. But his shoes were made straight, not as now one to each foot, a right and a left, but each exactly alike and he changed his shoes every morning, wearing one on one foot one day and on the other the next, that they might not get worn to either foot in particular. Shoes lasted a great length of time in those days, the leather being all tanned with oak bark only, and thoroughly seasoned before it was cut up. There is even a story of a farmer who wore his best shoes every Sunday for seven years and Sundays, fifty years, and when he had died, had them buried with him, still far from worn out a traveller once returned from america in those days a very far-off land and was recounting the wonders he had seen and among them how the folk there used sleighs 
not only for driving in but for the removal of heavy goods but jonathan did not think it strange since when he was young wheeled vehicles were not so common he had himself seen loads of hay drawn home on sleds from english meadows and could tell where a sled had been last used there were aged men living around the hamlet in his day if that could be called a hamlet in which there were barely a score of people all told who could recollect when the first wagon came to the idavers at all events they pointed out a large field called the conagers where it was taken to turn it around for it was constructed in so primitive a style that the four wheels would not pass under the body and thus required a whole field to turn in at that date folk had no banking accounts but kept their coin in a strong chest under the bed sometimes hiding it in strange places jonathan was once visiting a friend and after they had hobnobbed a while the old fellow took him with many precautions that they should not be observed into the pigsty and showed him fifty guineas hid in the thatch that was by no means all his property but the old fellow said with a wink that he liked to have a little hoard of his own that his wife knew nothing about some land being put up for sale after biddings by the well-to-do residents an old dealer in a very small way as was supposed bid above them all the company looked upon him with contempt and his offer was regarded as mere folly but he produced a nail bag from under his coat and counted out the money a nail bag is made of the coarsest of all kinds of sacking in this manner the former generation eschewing outward show collected their money coin by coin until at last they became substantial men and owners of real estate so few were the conveniences of life that men often had to leave the road and cross several fields out of their way to light their pipes at a burning couch heap or lime kiln they prided themselves then in that hill district that they had neither a cow nor a poor married man in the parish there was no cow because it was entirely a corn-growing place the whole resident population was not much over a score and of the laborers they boasted not one was married for in those old times each parish kept its own poor and consequently disliked an increase of the population the farmers met in vestry from time to time to arrange for the support of the surplus labor. The appearance of a fresh family would have meant a fresh tax upon them. They regarded additional human beings as an encumbrance. The millers sent their flour round the country then on pack horses. Wagons and carts were not so common as now, while the ways, once you quitted the main road, were scarcely passable. Even the main roads were often in such a state that foot passengers could not get along but left the road and followed a footpath just inside the hedge such footpaths ran beside the roads for miles here and there in country places a short section of such tracks may still be found pack roads too may occasionally be met with retaining their designation to this day it was the time of the great wars with the first napoleon and the poor people as the wheat went up to famine prices were often in a strait for bread when the miller's pack-horse appeared the cottagers crowded round and demanded the price if it had risen a penny the infuriated mob of women would sometimes pull the miller's boy off the horse and duck him in the village pond 
the memory of those old times is still vivid in farmhouses and at hillary's i have myself handled old jonathan's walking staff which he and his father before him used in traversing on foot those perilous roads it was about five feet long perhaps more an inch and a half in diameter and shod with an iron ferrule and stout spike with this he could prod the sloughs and ascertain their depth or use it as a leaping pole and if threatened by sturdy rogues whirl it about their heads as a quarterstaff wars and famines were then terrible realities men's minds were full of them and superstition flourished the foggers and shepherds saw signs in the sky and read the stars down at luckett's place one winter's night when folk almost fancied they could hear the roar of napoleon's cannon the old fogger came rushing in with the news that the armies could be seen fighting in the heavens it was an aurora the streamer shooting up towards the zenith and great red spots among the stars the ghastly stains of the wounded the old fogger declared that as he went out with his lantern to attend to the cows calving he could see the blood dripping on the back of his hand as it fell down from the battling hosts above to us the ignorance of even such comparatively recent times is almost incredible as hillary was telling me of such things as we sat in his house one evening there grew upon our ears a peculiar sound a humming deep bass somewhat resembling the low notes of a piano with a pressure on the pedal it increased and became louder coming from the road which passed the house it was caused by a very large flock of sheep driven slowly the individual ba of each lamb was so mixed as it were with the bleed of its fellow that the swelling sound took a strange mysterious tone a voice that seemed to speak of trouble and perplexity and anxiety for rest hillary as a farmer must of course go out to see whose they were and i went with him but before he reached the garden gate he turned back remarking it's johnson flock i know the tang of his tankards the flat-shaped bells hung on a sheep's neck are called tankards and hillary could distinguish one flock from another by the varying notes of their bells reclining on the sweet short sward under the hawthorn on the down i looked over the idaver plain and thought of the olden times as i gazed i presently observed far away beside some ricks the short black funnel of an engine and made it out to be a steam plough waiting till the corn should be garnered to tear up the stubble how much meaning there lay in the presence of that black funnel there were the same broad open fields the same beautiful crops of golden wheat the same green hills and the same sun ripening the grain but how strangely changed all human affairs since old jonathan in his straight-made shoes with his pike-staff and the acorns in his pocket trudged along the footpaths end of chapter six